Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each Friday we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic update from our in-house economics team. This week, the world was reminded we are still living with COVID-19 and confirmed cases alone jumped around 700,000. As we record today on the 26th of June, there are nine and a half million confirmed cases across the globe. And sadly, we are closing in on half a million deaths. This follows a month of relative optimism that the worst of COVID-19 was behind us. And as we break this down, we've seen a surge in cases across many of the United States, a breakout in Beijing, localized breakouts in Germany, deteriorating conditions in the emerging markets, particularly Brazil, but also India and Mexico. And in a somewhat bizarre approach, Chile's numbers spiked a few times on the back of audits, which added an extra 36,000 cases alone in one day. Locally, Australia, of course, hasn't been immune either, with a spike of cases, including Melbourne now seen as a bit of a hotspot and lockdown measures extended in Victoria. Today, our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, joins us to update us on those major economic themes affecting our asset and financial markets. Welcome, Matthew. Hi, Craig. Good to see you again. Matthew, with the S&P down this week around 1%, has this refocus on COVID-19 infection rates swamped any good news coming from the economic data? Yeah, well, we've certainly seen uh, market sentiment stall somewhat this week, Craig. Uh, as you say, equity markets are down, bond yields have retreated somewhat, and we've seen rallies in safe haven currencies, the US dollar and the Japanese yen, and sell-offs in uh, currencies tied to the economic outlook, such as the Aussie dollar and the euro. And as you say, Craig, this stall in market sentiment has occurred in the face of improving economic data, particularly across business sentiment measures released this week in major economies, uh, the US, Europe, UK and China. And Matthew, for me, the market performance recently has been a strong reminder of all those wonderful financial textbooks we read at university, that basic tenant, that financial market pricing focuses on the forward outlook. So I was intrigued, are we getting used to this lagging nature of the economic data? Well, I suppose the interesting thing about the business sentiment data, the PMIs, is that unlike a lot of other data, they are supposed to be forward indicators of the economy, often thought to project the outlook over the next uh, three to six months. Uh, These sentiment indicators tank to their lowest ever levels back in April, but then over May and now in June, as the economies began reopening, these indexes recovered very sharply to be just below their pre-COVID-19 levels, very much a V-shaped recovery. Indeed, the bounce in these measures back in May reinforced market sentiment that the economic recovery would indeed be V-shaped and help fuel the strong equity market rally. But these sentiment indexes, I think, must be treated at the moment with extreme caution. They are what's known as diffusion indexes, and and they're a very specific type of measure. They just measure a, a binary outcome, that is, whether the respondents, the businesses, think that trading conditions are improving or whether they're deteriorating. And so a score above 50 for these indexes means businesses expect improving conditions and below 50, they expect a deterioration. And so while the index uh, levels have increased substantially since their April low points, they remain below 50, meaning that the majority of businesses are still pessimistic about the outlook. 
just not as pessimistic as they were back in April. But even those businesses that have changed their views from pessimistic to optimistic, those are the businesses that caused the indexes to lift off their low points, all they're really telling us is they expect there to be an improvement in conditions going forward from their April low point. That still leaves the economy a long way from pre-COVID-19 levels. And I don't think you, you can interpret the improvement in these indexes as signalling a V-shaped recovery in the economy. Thanks for that, Matthew. Now, I think that uh, also uh, corresponds well to the ECB chief economist this week coming out and sort of playing down some of those recovery outcomes. So something to watch there. We also had the IMF release its latest economic forecasts this week, which were downgraded from their last quarter forecast in April. Was this to be expected, Matthew? Well, you're right. The IMF lowered their 2020 average annual global growth forecast by about two percentage points, um, taking them down from minus 3% to uh, minus 4.9%. And that downgrade was pretty uniform across developed and emerging markets. Um, However, it must be remembered that, generally speaking, the IMF has uh, been and remains more pessimistic than most forecasters about the impact of uh, COVID-19 on the global economy. Interestingly, though, Australia was an outlier in the IMF projections. We had our forecast upgraded, actually, uh, by about two percentage points from minus 6.7% back in April to 4.5%, which brings the IMF in line with uh, most major Australian forecasters, including QIC, um, who are forecasting a 4% drop in GDP uh, in Australia over 2020. I think the IMF uh, upgrade for Australia is justified. Uh, It's in recognition of our effective control of the virus and our strong fiscal response. In fact, the IMF estimates that across the group of 20 economies, Australia ranks fourth in its fiscal response, sitting behind uh, the US, Japan and Germany. And the IMF report also, Matthew, included a downside risk scenario and its global financial stability update commented on a disconnect between markets and the real economy and the risk of a correction in risk asset prices. Yes, the IMF downside risk scenario, it's uh, very similar to our own downside scenario of a second wave of infection. Uh, If this was to occur, uh, the hit to global growth would be about as half the size of uh, the initial wave of infections that occurred over February and March. And that would reflect um, the fact that most countries' health systems now are far better prepared to contain another major outbreak. However, we would expect a further rise in bankruptcies in a second wave of infections and a longer road to economic recovery than what is currently priced in by what I consider a still very optimistic um, market outlook. The IMF also highlights the vulnerability of emerging market economies who have benefited from the surge in global liquidity, which has compressed sovereign credit spreads and kept borrowing costs from blowing out as governments have issued debt to uh, fund fiscal stimulus. In the event of a second wave of the virus or any other shock that turns investor sentiment, sovereign spreads for these emerging market economies uh, would blow out, uh, creating severe stress on government debt funding. Uh, The consequence would be the flight of international capital 
and sharp devaluations in emerging market currencies. Uh, the IMF identifies countries with high external financing requirements and limited international reserves as amongst the most vulnerable, including Poland, Turkey, South Africa, Mexico and Brazil. Matthew, I was hoping we could also get into your forward-looking views. Is there an update in how you're looking at the uh, markets going forward that you might be able to share with our investors and what data should they be focusing on? Well, we've been consistent in our, in our advice and that is you must respect the epidemiology of the virus. The rush to reopen economies was always going to carry risks of spikes in case rates. This has been true even in countries that have had the most success in controlling the disease, such as Germany, uh, China, and even Australia. As for countries such as the US and the UK, where case rates were only just below their peaks, the risk of reoccurring outbreaks is and remains extremely high. Localised lockdowns will become the norm, I think, as will ongoing restrictions on international travel. The economic data will continue to be a lagging indicator and until a vaccine is found and distributed, we cannot expect economies to recover to pre-COVID levels. And until, Craig, economies can return to pre-COVID levels, asset prices at or above pre-COVID levels are actually relying on investor confidence that central bank liquidity injections can underwrite asset valuations. And there's the risk. How far will central banks go to support financial markets? In particular, as their ability to support markets through intervening in debt markets becomes exhausted, will they become buyers of equities, which will be their last resort? Thank you for that, Matthew. And it's, uh, it's certainly been a week of more volatile financial market pricing that we've seen as the the economic data begins to reflect those uh, recovery conditions. And so with stimulus measures now starting to be a little bit offset by those continuing poor COVID-19 data, we could be in a bit of a range-bound environment for some time to come. And as the IMF data points out, there is still a way to go uh, in the economies. Thank you, Matthew, for your comments today. Thank you to you for listening to us on QPod today. Please watch out for our Market Moments podcast on Monday, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend.